Alright everyone, looks like everything is working. Here's hoping that it is. I think I've got us all on screen at the same time. Hopefully everything actually works. Chat room, how you doing? Hopefully everybody can tell me if it looks and sounds good, because I think I think I figured this out somewhat anyway. Wayne, welcome. Good evening. Welcome to Secrets of Saturn Live, everyone. One, I hope we're coming in loud and clear. Uh, tonight we have a special guest with us, so uh, you know we're going to be getting underway here in just a moment. So Absolutely. take it away, Jason. Uh, we have Eric Tees with us. He is the amazing artist who actually did the artwork for the Shoot the Moon posters. All the all the artwork you saw for our film Shoot the Moon, Eric did it. So Eric, welcome to the Secrets of Saturn live stream. Happy to be here. Happy to be here. Thank you, Jason Wayne. All right, I have your uh, your little notes that you sent me. I'm going to bring that up in a moment, but I'm going to take two seconds to say about our sponsor, and that is our friend Randy from Houston's Lower the Friction product. I actually have been getting even better results, uh, and he told me that would happen, or it should happen. Uh, I'm up to about five miles per gallon uh, as, as the bonus now. I, I've been getting about 40 miles per gallon in my cars. I've been driving around instead of about 34, 35, so... Uh, it's working. Uh, go to his website, lowerthefriction.com, put in promo code SOS for 5% off. And if you do it, we'd like to hear from you because we're trying to uh, get some testimonials on it. But that's it for that. Let's move back to our subject matter. So, Eric, uh, I don't. I think you said you really haven't done anything uh, public like this before, right? I at one point tried to start a podcast, but it just did not get off the ground. My viewership on YouTube was very poor, and it was at a time of performance on YouTube was being very weaved out on the algorithm. So trying was a very uphill battle that allowed me that I needed to step away and focus more on the actual art rather than also broadcasting. Cool. All right, so let's try and uh, get your name out there. Let's see. Yes, yes. Everybody looks like... All right, everyone's saying this looks and sounds good. Cool. All right, they said Wayne's a little hot. Somebody said Wayne's a tad bit hot. I think he's really hot, but, I mean, that's just my opinion here. Thanks, man. That's not too gay or anything. (laughs) All right, so Eric, why don't Eric, let's take a moment. Why don't you just tell folks who you are? Uh, Other than the fact that you did the poster for the Shoot the Moon film, uh, yeah, why don't you give some background on yourself? Okay. Of course. Uh, well, my name is Eric. Um, pretty much not much of a difference between a name and who you are as a person. It's just who you go by. But the path that I've walked has been nothing but an artist path. I've grown up in nature. I studied nature. Since I was a young age, I was always drawing, painting, uh, studying art, uh, understanding the masters at work. And not only how that was portrayed, but the deconstruction, what messages carried forth within the artwork itself. And my whole life path has been nothing but continuing, progressing, and refining my artist and who I am and how I can express that. So I have a lot of work in fine art. I've worked in illustration. I've worked with painting, sculptural work. I've worked in design, graphics. I grew up on computers, so I was at the earlier stages of even doodling on MS Paint and expressing myself creatively. And it's because one of the things with my my astrological chart is it provides that my Venus, my source of creativity, is also amplified by my sun. 
So my light of being really has to find an outlet to express all this artistic creations. So there's a lot of creative problem solving that just comes natural to me that I get like a vision or I get a concept of how you can do something. And that curiosity to fulfill that, that, that call is almost both like an intuitive whistle to beckon you forward while also allowing you to blossom and explore your path as an artist. So you express creativity in each and every step that you do. So that's something that a whole life can provide you with an experience unlike any other. And it's like in the realm of dream speak, a word is limited by interpretation. But when you have imagery, when you have the ability to express something, you are working with the very basis of our reality, Maya. And this is allowing you to perceive and understand this technical illusion of how you can have a piece of paper look something so photorealistic, but also just be a two-dimensional portrayal. So for me, allowing that to be something that is important for me to put out there in the world is saying, hey, I'm this creative little spark. Let's continue to fuel that fire. And it's been nothing but a journey since to see what that comes out. Now, I've worked with a lot of messages in terms of just like, working with art that provides lessons while also giving visual awakenings. And this developed into currently I'm developing a follow-up tarot deck as well as a whole constellation project, which started out just creating an astrological, I guess, perception of where the stars align, which is similar to sidereal astrology, like where the stars truly lie. So for me, art is both a lesson where you can learn. It's a pursuit of what I follow as well as an opening and opportunity for anybody, including myself, to understand the world and to study it at large, both at the macrocosmos and back within. So however you want to look at it, it's arrived here. I'm happy to be here, and it's just that creative motion cool. all in the like flow. I'd like to start off here with this first paragraph that you sent me called The Magic of Art or the Artist's Path. When an artist is truly at work, a state relative to meditation takes form. This allows for synchronistic inspiration and intuitive guidance to play unique roles in manifesting creative potential. This practice can lead an artist's creation to be enriched with symbolism, sacred geometry, and a visual language that speaks from the soul, at times even subconsciously. With any practice, the more one understands the true nature of our waking reality, the more these forces consciously play a hand to have everything fall divinely into being. That's really cool, but um, you want to break that down for us so everybody, in case they, they didn't quite get it? So I like to see this as an artist because as somebody who experiences, you not only get to see the process of something happening, but you see the finished product, which is why artists tend to see themselves as the most critical person to evaluate one's own art. They see the mistakes. They know the trials and errors it took to achieve what it took to arrive at that final vision. So when most of us are going through this process, we utilize that overcritical sense as more of like this egoic perception. But many of us don't understand that maybe if you didn't hit that 10 out of 10 in terms of your creative expression, that maybe that point in time served as a practice or it allowed you to understand something that is going to serve itself in a future sense so that you gain the proper experience to handle that next task at the best of your ability. So when somebody pursues that, they allow themselves an opportunity to be not only in this meditative state because they can tap into just being that childlike nature. They are not needing to worry about their daily routine or the things that are happening outside of them. They're purely 100% 
in their zone, focused on what they're creating. And it's not a sense because they're just like so hard focused on it. It's more that you get lost in it because you bring out that childlike sense. You understand what it's like to explore and to not have this more masculine direct A to B route. You allow yourself to see what it is that you want to express and then you nurture it like a garden. So you don't force it to grow. You more you provide a stable kind of environment, the more you're going to give it the ability to actually grow. And there's a lot of parallels to both nature and art that really can give a grasp at seeing where it comes from. Because I believe that we're all artists, no matter whether you're doing it creatively through communicating with others, taking care of people on the run, even a creative idea, expression through the mouth expression through the arts, through the dance, through the way that you decide to even process and have thoughts, bring out a creative answer. This is all part of us working with that artist that is in each and every one of us. So if we can go further on that, I'm sure this conversation will dive much deeper, but I think that's a nice opening to give everyone a sense that yes, we are all capable of not only tapping into this present moment, but we allow ourselves to be, will assist in whatever we choose to express. And as an artist, as a person, and as who we want to be. How was it that you initially got in touch with Crow uh, to, to end up doing the artwork for Shoot the Moon? So one of the things that I took interest in is that I've always been just a freelance artist. So for me, communicating with people and connecting with like-minded individuals was something that always was on my radar. Since as early as 2013, I was working in terms of just like various outlets. I would uh, have my own news outlet. I would have video work. I would work on various blogs here and there, as well as try to contribute on various things. I used to build web pages that acted as these information portals and all sorts of stuff that I would readily offer my time towards. So every so often I come across individuals, which I truly appreciate because I have so much time on my hand to listen to podcasts like yourselves or crows that I pick up and like, oh, this would be great people to communicate, converse with, and open up opportunity. In my mindset, I'm a hermit of society living in America, and I'm completely comfortable with that. I understand the limitations that is in the everyday, and when, for example, someone's working a nine-to-five, my pacing does not abide by that. I'm more of a natural flow, so I don't cultivate inside a strict paradigm, so I'm always cultivating, growing, and thinking of new ways. So reaching out to Crow, I wanted to offer up an opportunity to offer creative expansion, more in the sense that there's something that I could bring to the table that I'm just called to do. So when I act on that, I want to give people the opportunity so that if they want to see it blossom, that I can come in like an expert garden and nurture a vision to life, however it may be. As that tender care is behind it for my mindset, there's a lot of people out there, especially in the advertising industry, that are willing to just like really know how to sell you. And the thing is, they sell you, but they don't have the soul behind it. And whoever could interpret that can understand the difference of that. So when I want to work for somebody, I like to hand draw something. I like to put my work into Because no matter if you can interpret that or not, that is just understanding the different computer to create a noise for you and then allowing it to echo the waves of reality. So a little imprint makes a difference. Doing work for Crow, on the other hand, that all came into just allowing an opportunity to work with others. I've tried to work with both podcasts and video sources of people who are just producing videos to do what I really wanted to do. So reaching out to Crow was one of those outlets. It's very rare that you actually build a communication from it, 
But at the same time, too, that opportunity is still present and clear. So to provide that opportunity to crowd was, oh, cool. But at the same time, too, it's just something that I do for fun. It's like making a sandcastle, Buddhist um, sand art. You just create it so, so it can exist. And then you walk away and continue what you're doing. So as somebody's creating, so it's just something that happens to go by where you pass by, you often like you're happy to partake in it because it's an experience that everybody gains. Well, certainly I'd like to contribute because I could never shut myself up too much. So, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, no, this is this is great. All the things you're saying. A question I have for you, though, Eric, is do you find that the grind of everyday, day-to-day living in life uh, uh, interferes with your creative process at all? My creative, I don't have a daily grind. Uh, so most people like to work for a nine-to-five. I, my whole life saw that even as a young child i was like that is very baffling but maybe i I have such a strong call to work in the artist field that this is just something that comes easy to myself but for me it's like the seasons they come and go um i don't have to worry about being at a set time so everything comes in nurture when a good idea comes to you it will come to you and you know when to act on it most of your days come and flow as it's needed and it's almost like a beautiful story being unfolded and when people get to see something that I want to highlight more, because that can come in many ways. Most people are so stuck to something that they're dependent to allow something to exist. But as soon as they start integrating something that they enjoy doing, they realize that that statement of when work becomes play, that is in its own right. Freeing your lifestyle to become something more than it was always. As soon as you open that opportunity, it's almost like letting a gust of wind in. It allows something more to come thereafter. And as long as you explore that, that's really going to not limit you on like a daily routine would. And you'd become more creative at the process too to become more adaptable. It's a very mutable process. Well, let's get into some of the topics here. I kind of relate to that. Oh, yeah, I can too, totally. Mm -hmm. Let me... Yeah, that one's for me because I, I do hold down a full-time job and stuff just yeah. to kind of make ends meet but uh, I am an author and I understand exactly where you're coming from when the inspiration hits you and you know when, exactly when and how to act on it you have to do it it's lit in a, in a different fashion because of uh, you know my regular nine to five grind so that, that's why I ask you that if it, you know that's something you want to but more power to you if you could actually just take your passion you have and make a full uh, living out of it more power to you man i wish i could be more like you well it, it's always baby steps so for my advice in that scenario i would apply maybe great note taking so that you can come back to it so that when the inspiration for when it's ready by your side another aspect is just like um people who work with dreams they might not remember their dreams but when they record it in the morning that very action will fine-tune their ability to really tap into that memory that tap into your more i guess astral recall so that you yourself can actually like recall your intuitive sparks a lot more easy and at the same time too it's just integration i think most of us whether they might know it or not even working at that nine to five is sort of like it's part of the bigger picture of things so when we understand and integrate it we see that it has its place in time meant to be in a position 
position where we're going to be full-time in something that it will ease into it. It's like changing a diet or changing a lifestyle. You ease into it. Just stepping one cold turkey foot into it might be a rough patch that disrupts what your flow is. But if you allow your stream, your creek, to really just adapt as the season goes, then you yourself are going to create and reach that destination that you've been drawn to to bring into fruition. Cool. So let's get into some of the topics that you uh, seem very interested in. Let's start with divination. Uh, as a matter of fact, right before we got on air, you asked me about, man, Wayne, I don't know what's up with your webcam, but it keeps changing your picture size like mad. Big, small, big, small, big, small. And I keep fixing it, and then it keeps doing it. In case anyone's wondering why it looks goobered, I don't, <laughs> I don't know, know why it's doing that. I keep putting it back in place, and then it... But anyway, in case anyone's wondering why it it looks crazy, that's not me. I could turn my video. But Eric, let's get into the divination thing. Uh, You asked me for my my uh, normal astrological stuff, my birth date, the day, the time, and the location. (laughs) So I gave that to you, um, and Wayne didn't get a chance to tell you his yet. But uh, I'm not that actually into astrology at all, uh, despite being partners with Crow Triple Seven. But go ahead and uh, discuss that how you want. Okay, so I like to think divination as a number of different things. Mostly, if you break down the word itself, it's connecting to the divine or utilizing the divine. Just like inspiration is allowing the spirit to be awoken within, it's similar to how divination can provide itself maybe a message from something external to you. So if you cannot connect it to one thing in particular, something that's you might understand because you have a lot of Pisces within your chart in terms of Western astrology that you really tap into this understanding of the more spiritual nature of things. And because when you see that, that is going to open up the doorway to see that we are interconnected, whether you set a wave in the ocean, that's part of the ocean, whether we'd like to admit it or not. So as this accumulates, we got to understand that maybe if we can spot where these larger boats are, that these boats themselves can actually show us that if there's a big wave coming or if we can use a certain wave to ride like surfing and allow us to reach a destination a lot more easier or to go with the flow that will take us to where we're meant to be or the trials and tribulations in which we're learning along the way in terms of how astrology can help us see what lessons are necessary to go through or what astrological weather we might encounter along the way of experiencing life. So for your astrology per se, astrology, I like to deconstruct a lot of things because I find that labels we get lost in. So if we look at astrology, if we strip it down to everything that has ever been labeled before and we just reevaluate it like Crow has approached with the sky clock, even if you take a look at that and just start fresh, we're looking at planetary bodies, which is the one thing no matter what sidereal, western, or Vedic astrology can portray, this is giving something of value through understanding the planets. And even if the planets aren't emitting a certain resonance, it is still an ocean of a magnetic field that we partake in with the sun. So we're a part of the dance, no differently than the sun is a part of the dance of what that's connected to. So when we interpret this, this is a very, very, very bigger picture look. So for example, yourself, we are looking at a chart where you have your Mercury, your sun, and your Venus all in this Pisces sector. So you like to express this light within that has a strong spiritual hold, but uh, drawn to what is not dense, what is not a part of this world. Because of that, the idea of dreams or spirituality might become more of a higher interest to you and actually comes through you. Now, for example, your rising sun, this is where the sun likes to 
shine at the moment. So this is how I interpret light coming in. This is an angular motion in which the stars are providing you a birth light print. So when you interpret your chart, for example, you would have a Gemini rising. Now this dictates your house sign. As you go around, you're looking at a sphere. As you look at any astrological study, you're looking at the sphere all around. However you want to perceive that zodiac, however you want to customize that, that's just more of a study that we can only learn in time. We cannot say something is indeed a fact because this is more a conglomeration of various different resonances from a lot of different light sources. So we can't really class everything, but we can give it an allegorical understanding, which is why the zodiac has come about in the way it has. So for your case, you have this Gemini rising. So with your spiritual aspects coming into big key, you want to express that. You want to bring that out. The idea that Gemini is both this communicative aspect plus this devil's advocate to entertain both ideas at the same time. I've seen why they both exist, which is why you have this stronger suit of being a devil's advocate when, for example, others offer some sort of input and you guys see, well, there's two sides of the story. That is the nature of Gemini because they can understand and perceive that. So having that as your Gemini rising, no matter what aspect of your chart, this is how it's going to just by looking at it that this type of info really carries forward so you can tell a lot just by either just interpreting the planet and I think astrology is all an interpretation so it's not in a matter of sense of what is right but more in the sense of how does somebody perceive because when you convey that that is more of a concept in which we can then relate to an aspect of which we have by experience so that we can understand ourselves more so I say take with it what you will but I think that gives an open idea of more of the astrology while also giving you the opportunity of understanding why that's in your chart as well. Cool. Wayne, I've completely lost your picture, by the way. Are you still with us? I'm still here. Do you got me on audio? Yeah, I hear you fine. So I guess we'll just leave it be. I've got a, a big old S for Skype uh, as your picture. <laughs> I don't know what's up. I, th I think your camera just uh, finally gave up after, after no, jumping I, around. I, I, I turned it off because I think it was becoming too much of a distraction. So I just oh, wanted okay. to make sure. Well, let me make sure we're all good here. I don't, I don't, I don't think anybody wants to see the big old Skype. So let me see if I can just ditch that, and we'll then we'll yeah, just carry just on. Ditch with... that, and I'll stick with audio because it seems like whenever <laughs> we try and do, whenever we try and do a three-way call here or whatever, my video jumps around, especially if you're using video for all three. So wow. I, I don't know what's up with that. I'm going to have to check my settings on here. But like I was telling you before we came on air. Uh, my Skype decided to, out of the clear blue sky, do this update just all of a sudden, minutes before showtime here. So uh, that's that, that, might explain, <laughs> that might explain some of the screwy nonsense going on here tonight. I don't know. but uh, All right. Looks, yeah. looks like I can anyway, Not to get too much off topic. All right. Everything's coming through loud and clear, so I, I'll just leave that off, and then it should just pump your audio to the to the stream. So, well, this is the beauty of live radio, isn't it, ladies and gentlemen? Uh, Wayne, why? A beautiful dance. 
don't you take a moment and uh, text Eric your information so that he can uh, he can do do the, your little chart thing and all that. But we can continue talking about um, why don't we talk about the tarot because you produced several decks of your own, correct? Uh, yes, I produced my main premium deck, which is Shadowlight Tarot, and it's my base vision of a deck. And then at that same time, since I crowdfunded it. I reached this secondary goal where I produced a smaller travel-sized one, but since this one had extra cards in it, I included planetaries. But it's a nice little start to something that I've always seen coming, because prior to that, I used to actually create apparel, and I would create these occultic, esoteric designs in which would convey a lot of the information that I would learn, whether it's from Walter Russell or the likes of uh, Sacred Geometry or many of the, I guess, avenues that you can really explore. Um, this would all be my opening, and I always saw, ever since um, early stages, that I would be pursuing a tarot. And even at the stage of that, I believe 2014 is when I got like pretty much like the download of just the intuition coming through, and I just sketched it all out. And between 2014 and 2018, I developed this whole vision of my tarot deck. And the first released one is Shadow Light Tarot because I provided like a shadow of the light. And my next one is Lucid Light, so it's more, the last deck was black and white, while this one's in color, and I'm also exploring it and redoing a lot, so it's exploring even deeper than what it could be for, and I'm also working on an astrology deck, I believe I also have a couple other decks, including a mushroom-oriented one, um, a forest and tree-based one, it's just a big avenue that I can see, it's an artistic expression in which I can convey information and knowledge through for others to work, whether they want to learn, whether they want to use it for divination, whether they want to use it for arts. It's all encompassed, and that, I feel, is the best way to convey a lot of my artwork. So it's something I've been working on, still working on, will be working on, if that makes sense. No, I, I, t I totally get it. Um, I, I've messed around with tarot. I've had, friend, I've had quite a few friends that are into it, and... Um, I'm assuming that you not only appreciate the art side of it, but that you give credence to its capability to produce, um, what would be the correct term, divination? Yes, yes. Now, divination in itself is, I like to relate to like a random number generator. But what makes it important is the synchronicity. As tarot cards are works of art that convey a lot of symbols, they pack a lot of punch in a single work of art that can convey that, much like a dream would. Cool. All right. Uh, Eric, by the way, Wayne texted in the Skype chat his info. I don't know how long it takes you to whip something up, but if you want to do that while we're chit-chatting, you're, you're certainly welcome to. Oh, no worries. Already on it. That's Gemini <laughs> okay, cool. Rising. I told you. Okay, so tarot and divination in the age of Aquarius. Uh, well, we are supposedly heading toward the age of Aquarius, but as a lot of the work that uh, Crow and I and, and, and several others have done – we're really not anywhere near close to it. Uh, the, the ages, as they are so-called, usually last for 2,000-plus years. And uh, although a song from, uh, what was it, 1969, uh, This is the Dawning the Age of Aquarius, what have you believe, it's actually not true. So I was wondering what your thoughts were on that. Now, the title of that was the concept there is the age of Aquarius. So this is more not in terms of how people determine the age of Aquarius, no differently than astrology can be different in Vedic or Western. This concept more that I'm associating with tarot and divination is that I see Aquarius as this very internet-oriented, um, high communication, 
very collective, interconnected network. So when we're dealing with tarot and divination, you get a sense of synchronicity that happens at a level that is not just beyond just tarot or divination. You're looking at it at your synchronistic state of experience. So when you're on the internet, for example, I believe that there's websites like, for example, I'll throw this out, like even on 4chan, when people like see the synchronicity of the digits of a random post, they can encounter a state of divination. And in an age of Aquarius, it goes even beyond that because now you're looking at a network of, like say, YouTubers who do readings for individual signs or for months or for different, I guess, intentions. And these intentions themselves because we're entering the age of Aquarius where we're all connected to this online network and the amount of people that are coming onto these networks are making them so saturated with content, the way that we introduce synchronicity towards us is ever more in tune to who we are. So when you come across, for example, a tarot reader on YouTube, for example, this is highlighting how you might have come across them, not just by the state of the algorithm, but because you stuck with that because they may have a similar resonance to your own astrological chart or they may have a similar understanding or provide a message to you at that right place right time. I like to see that maybe data and big data collection can have a stranglehold in terms of interpretation advertising but when we look at the state of the internet in general and even the data that is out there the state in which we come across information ideas and concepts all occur on this level whether it's on the internet through a forum or through our own individual intuitive senses, which we conclude by just reflecting on the everyday things of our life. So there's a huge case that makes the age of Aquarius more on the age of our technological connectivity and how we can utilize that even further to create more of a fractal sense of what we understand as divination. Cool. Uh, Eric, are you doing uh, sidereal or sidereal, however you pronounce that, or tropical astrology? Now, the thing is, I actually study all. I've actually had a conversations with Athens back when I started my uh, Constellation deck because it was very important to me. I wanted to go for a side rail route that persistently showed you that this star is in this location and you're dealing with this resonance. Now, when working with my Constellation deck, I was dealing with constellations where it met a point where I was like, all right, now I'm basing off a map of the sky that is off multiple ages of added constellations and don't truly express it. So this project of mine ended up being put on the back burner because I was torn between redoing it because I had to deconstruct the whole nature of the sky itself, including the constellations, as well as apply a proper sidereal astrological sense to it. So the astrology end of it, I can bring to the table, but the constellations required more refinement. Now with sidereal astrology, that is very true astrology. But the level of what we can understand through fixed stars can carry a lot. So when I interpret for something like a Western chart or a Vedic chart or even a sidereal chart, to me, they're all the same because of the very nature. It's like measuring between a foot and a meter. You can know the difference if you're aware of both of them so that you can, let's say I can read a Western chart and I can interpret that sidereal or I can interpret that Vedic easily by knowing the degree difference or where it lies or how big that sign really is. So for me, I deconstructed and I think I approach astrology in a very unique way that doesn't quite has a name yet, but it's something that I'm cultivating and that's why it's important for me to make that constellation an astrological themed deck because that will allow that information to be out there. But I hope that gives a sense that astrology in itself is a study that is still growing and still being refined 
And that's something that I think is going to happen even beyond our lifetimes. So you could best be described as a multidisciplinary astrologer then in that case. Yes, yes. Uh, I always right. like to consider myself even like a polymath because I work so much at so many different things. Like I have a high degree of studies for science and that led me to understand the, how electromagnetics work, Walter Russell, even Reich and all of his technology. So like I have a deeper understanding of that, even Tesla's work. And then I apply that to this creative world that carries this knowledge over. This is something that is sparked by most of my creative expressions and my interests. I guess it's also because I guess I'm associated with a Sagittarius sun and Venus that my pursuit of knowledge plays a big role in what I choose to express in the world as well as what drives me and brings my light out there. That's awesome, man. I wish we could all be a little more like you. It's good to have that different uh, background and skill sets and be able to bring it all together and, and make sense of things. And, uh, you know, that's something that's hard for a lot of people to do. It, it's hard to be involved in all different kinds of interdisciplinary studies and be able to coagulate it all together into, you know, something that makes sense and you could refine and explain to people or show people. And, uh, you know, being able to do that in the form of art or, or, you know, by putting together your own tarot deck, that, that speaks mm. volumes, man. That's not easy to do by any stretch of it's, the It's not, yeah. So. I actually tell people that in, in particular. Like um, when somebody creates a book, they're using words to actually create a work of art. And they're restricted because the English language is so limiting by its own nature. It's almost designed that way. So I find a very limiting factor that applies in the words. But authoring, the way of expressing words carries so much power because it can be expressed so easily. Now, if you step into the art realm, interpretation of words is much easier than art. So it definitely requires more effort put in both by the creator as well as the individual who's able to interpret it. Because I believe that anybody at multiple stages of understanding could very well interpret a statue from multiple different perceptions. Absolutely. And that's one of the big things uh, that's a key with art uh, for encoding esoteric things. And that's uh, why the alchemists built this stuff into the cathedrals and, and various other things, because there's there's layers of meaning. And words could also have layers of meaning that they you put in there, too. Uh, books such as the Bible, for instance, there are so many layers of, of hidden mm -hmm. meaning within that. It, it is an art form. And uh, these things, they're, they're not easy to pull off. Uh, and like I said, just being able to, first of all, have the talent to go ahead and uh, make something artistic like that. And then secondly, to be able to convey layers of meaning within it. That's, that's something that is not easy to do. And I really envy you on that, man, because, you know, that's, I wish I had more artistic ability to be able to, to draw or to paint or, or even to sculpt or anything like that and be able to express myself in that way, too. Uh, I'm just the dude that writes words on a page. So, I mean, that's, that's how I express myself best. But uh, it's still if I had art. your talents, man, I'd be right there with you, man. I'd love to do that. I still think it's important for people to express things in words because it's one of the widest used, I guess, mediums that allows people to connect and transfer ideas. And I think that when we're trying to enter an idea of sharing where we're coming from and providing concepts for people to not only grow and to better their own selves, but to better their understandings, I think we got to use all tools that are possible. And I look at that with technology. I look at that with the language, I look at that even in the state of the power places that are in play today. 
we got to use what we have to work with because, believe it or not, there's a reason it's there. Even if it's there due to um, negative means, we can use it as a lesson through learning or through using it as, uh, as above so below reasoning to see how this example can provide a direction not to go. So not every pursuit of life doesn't have to strict you to saying like, oh, you're limited or because you can only do this. I think all of that is very valid, especially in this day and age where we can really connect and express ourselves. Because if you think about it, you can barely even self-publish a book, let alone get out on the map 20, 25 years ago. So to be able to do that nowadays, I think is an important empowerment tool for many individuals to really get ideas out there and to create a new world that we can actually pull from. Because I think that adds to this collective knowledge that we just drop a coin in that piggy bank. And as long as we continue to build that up, that's going to be able to be accessed to intuitively. Right. And that that's a great point. I mean, these are tools that are at our disposal now. And, and we do as as artists or, you know, creative individuals, we need to take advantage of these and, and use them to get our thoughts and our expressions and our ideas out into the world at large. And, uh, you know, what the way you're doing it is is just one aspect of it. The way I do it's another. The way yeah, Jason yeah. does things another. And I mean, we need to all kind of work together and, you know, we could put these different ideas out there and do it in all different ways and, and maybe make an impact. And I think that is uh, an important thing going forward here. So, you know, as far as the whole Aquarius idea, I like your take on it. It's very funny because this is a nice little callback to how we can actually see that it's more about can we be comfortable in our own dance? Because when you can tap to that and you can apply that forward, you yourself are doing it in the best way that you can. Like It's meant to be for you to do. And I think a lot of the perspectives and positions that we place ourselves or find ourselves in always give us that opportunity so that we can really just reflect to see that this is a part of who we are. And if we're definitely supporting that, that we're going to nurture it. For example, when we look at an astrological chart, for example, I brought yours up, you can see where these powerhouse strengths come through. I think a lot of us are artists, but a astrological chart can provide one to understand self. And even if you look at astrology, divination, or any other aspect of that woo-woo sense of tapping into this unworldly essence so it's not something that's so tangible this is always geared to give us a reflection of the self so that we can incorporate it as we move forward even as a reflective standard to be knowing it exists how can we understand this apply it and then use it to better ourselves so that's something that i think is very heavy to give that so i think everything that each of you all do is all beautiful in the dance because you guys understand that you want to express that and that's what we're here to do at the core of it because I'll dive straight into your chart after this too just to give a quick sense of it all because you have this Taurus rising and a Leo sun followed by this Leo Mercury. So your sense to not only be a container to express yourself and have these concepts and ideas to process is not only strong but is very clear to be center stage. It's just it's easily welcomed. And that's something that's one of your strong suits. Your moon in Taurus is this very captivating earthly essence so that you know yourself that you're going to feel a lot more comfortable when you're connected to that, have your system, have your flow. And I think it's important for even some people to go for that nine to five because that routine, that support system, it plays a key role into expressing ourselves or keeping order in something that we enjoy or something that we have a specific taste in.
if we see astrology more like food, there's just so many different flavors. It's not in the sense that you're getting something different. It's that it carries its own uniqueness and you can blend it and mix it and match it however you wish. So for your chart, I'll go through the planets real quick for you. So your rising is actually the same as your moon, which also is where your Mars at. So you've got this big drive on wearing your heart on your sleeve and carrying that forward on your life path. So being grounded is not only a part of your nature, but it's going to be something that carries like a theme, something like a literary theme. So you know it's there, but it doesn't make itself so clearly known. Now, the fact that you have a lot of Leos, that you have this energy to express, that's all in your fourth house. So where you like to call home, your base, your home base, that's very important to you. And you shine this light very well. So you might take care of your family like very good as well as your house. And it's just something that is not only important to you, but it's just something that comes easy. That's another thing astrology opens itself up to teach us is that we can use this to not only understand it, but we can see like, okay, now I understand why I have a habit of doing this or why I happen to be good at this or it comes easy. So some people are easy nurturers. Some people are easy communicators. Some people are great with handling order and patterns while others are great with the idea of concept of just not order at all, deconstructing, taking things apart, seeing the better ends of it or seeing what people don't see. So there's a very beautiful spectrum, like the spectrum of light that carry a lot for everything to see. So what you have to work with really does make your own little astrological painting of planetary resonances that really kind of carry with us. It's like we're at this party called life and we got this nice mixed drink with a little bit of everything in it. So what we take is kind of like our own little special tonic. As long as we go through it, I think at the other end, we're not only going to have an experience, but it's going to provide us something that's very in tune to who we were meant to be as well as who we are from the start. We've got a couple questions uh, for you, Eric. First of all, do you put out your last name? My last name is T-C. It's spelled T-E-C-C-E, but pronunciation, it's like a letter T and a letter C. Simple to remember. But yes, that would also be my website when you combine Eric T-C. Cool. So it's E-R-I-C-T-E-C-C-E dot com? That is correct. Yeah. Okay. Because folks are asking where they can find your work. Uh, people are asking if you do natal charts. Let me go back here in the chat a little bit. And Yes, does Eric do natal chart reading? It's something I can do, but it's not something I offer as a service. I do a lot of things. Like uh, I love cooking. I love doing so much, and I like my, my heart's there like a passion of art. And I, I get great results, but it's not something I offer to the public. It's sort of like you've got to be there to really experience it. Okay, let me. I don't want to skip anybody here. Let me jump through the chat here because they've actually been asking questions. Uh, does where you were born on the earth affect your astrology stuff? I've been thinking the earth may be flat, but there may be an inner earth still. To handle both the flat earth, the inner earth, and astrology, I think when we're here to deal with the flat earth quick, Regardless of the Earth's shape, you should be able to do what you do every day. And what you do with your life is up to you. I don't think a dictation of your environment will restrict what you choose to do. Now, with the inner Earth, the inner Earth is very important. Whether you want to look at it as a perspective of what's in it or what's not, it does exist. But that body of what exists is a part of the Earth. Now, the Earth is what's important because we exist within the electromagnetic sphere of a sun. 
so do all the other planetaries. And Earth has its own magnosphere. And if you want to think of it like a gobstopper or anything that has many layers to it, uh, I forget what that one candy is called that has uh, Jawbreaker or something like that, I believe. Think of it like many layers. That's your electromagnetic field. So when you see that on a 3D perspective and you imagine that being filled almost like a water when you shake it back and forth or what's inside it shaking back and forth, what is occurring on Earth is going to have detrimental effects on everything that's in it or on it relative to it. So our birth charts, what we understand is more our imprint of chart, uh, imprint of the resonances where we are born on the Earth, while the rising sign can help us fine-tune where we are on that Earth and the angle in which we came into the world and received those astrological resonances. However you want to perceive the Earth print, the light print, birth light, it's all the same kind of concept in which we take a breath of air, we're welcomed into this world, and it's removing our connection to our electromagnetics of our mother. Because we cut the electrical cord that we're connected to, I think that marks the spot in which we ourselves exist as our own electromagnetic inside this fractal connection of Earth, Sun, and so on and so on. So that is what I think we find when we look at astrology and how we understand ourselves. Because it's more the nature of what we're existing as rather than who we are. Cool. Uh, let me take a moment to say thank you, Mountain Smithy, for the $5 Super Chat. He usually shows up every week here. And his, let's see, what is it this week? The Aeon is decided by which constellation is on the eastern horizon one hour before dawn at the equinox. It's indisputably Aquarius. Um, I'll have to look that up. I was under the impression that we are still in Pisces, but I could be very wrong about that. By the way, are you familiar at all, Eric, with uh, the work of Kurt Kallenbach, a gentleman we've had on the show on Crow Triple Seven Radio three times now? Maybe, but I'm not the greatest with names. I, I have a tattoo about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, the reason why I'm asking is because folks are uh, picking up on the fact that Kurt said that you should really be measuring your life existence from the oh that yes yes the right and folks spawn are asking, of inception yeah right what when should you actually be doing your astrological signs from and just all of that like how would you in your opinion uh, account for all of that i think the most clearest direction we can get is looking at your natal chart that is pinned to the moment you came into the world from your mother's womb into this reality i said that because I find that, like I said, you break the electromagnetic sphere that you share with your mother. Even though you are spawned at that point, you are no differently than being held in her magnetic sphere. So when you're dealing with that electromagnetism that's associated with her, you are a part of that, almost nested by it. So to a degree, you carry and share at the same time. I can't say that you're shaped by the astrology through that nine-month period, but I can say that part of that carries with you. I know a story is that my mom, when she was having me, she had chickenpox at the time. But she then, because she had me, allowed me to also trigger that, and I wasn't able to get it. So whatever carried through the womb stays with me genetically. But the understanding of who we are, who's the conscious I am that is present, I think that is the moment in which we break the electromagnetics, exist, 
and provide that more air of breath. It's knowing where you came out into the world, less where you are in the world. All right, let me make sure I didn't skip anybody's uh, questions here. Uh, let's see. Do you interpret the day or week one was born or just the month sign as a whole? You, the more accurate you are, the more time pinpoint allows you to see the exact angle of a rising sign. Now, it is very reasonable to interpret charts at this time because planets don't move like in a day. They, they take their time, even Mercury being the fastest. We don't see something where it's going to pass you away. So if you're a few hours off on your birth chart, you still can get a lot of information out of it. But the more accurate you are, I find that more it can tell you. Because the house sign, which is the circle in which all the planetaries abide in, regardless of the zodiac, that is going to be dictated based off your rising sign. So your first house, your seventh house, your first house is yourself, or your seventh house, which is the opposite end, is how you interact with another person. So these are very much dictated to tell you where these planets are in your chart. Because that can provide a very extra depth to it. Uh, you can carry forward with you or you can see how this relates. But even without that moment in time, you can still get an understanding of planets and seeing their archetypes, applying that to how they express themselves through you or how they have an influence to easily convey you through this flavor or that flavor. Cool. Wayne, you got anything you want to get in here before we uh, keep moving along? I think it's uh, cool the way that uh, you brought up archetypes just then, and uh, that's what a lot of this stuff is, these <laughs> planetary energies. These these are archetypes, and when yes. people kind of get away from looking at it and seeing this as, oh, this is a, a, a spinning uh, orb in the sky, this is a star, this is a planet, that kind of thing, and think of it more as a concept or an archetype, it kind of opens up your mind uh, to understanding a little better as to what's going on, what these things are. These are these are like energy forms, pretty much. I mean, and that you know dot that you see in the sky is representative of that. It's not necessarily you, you know when you're saying Mars, people are thinking of this red spinning ball up there that uh, Elon Musk wants to go land on with his spaceship and stuff like that. They're not thinking in terms of the actual the energy, the energetic flow that affects this place that we live. And and that's the thing. So when you look at it as more of an archetype or a concept rather than, say, a quote-unquote planetary body, uh, you know, it opens up your mind to understand these ideas more because that's what it is. It's, it's a conceptualization mm-hmm. more so than an actual, like, quote-unquote physical object in the sky. Uh, so, like, even though... This is, it's a symbol, and and that's the whole thing right there in a nutshell. It's all about symbology when it comes down to it. It's a symbol. It represents an archetype, an energy, a thought form, all these different things all tied up into one, and there's many different layers of meaning associated with it, and it affects this place we live and where we're at, and it affects us uh, on a spiritual level as well as a physical level here. And, uh, that's, that's kind of an idea people need to open up their minds to. And a lot of people just think in, in terms of, uh, hyper materiality, cause that's, mm. that's the society that we're in. So I like the way you brought up the, the term archetype there to help kind of convey the meaning of what you're talking about here. And it is, it's all, all resonance and energy and, and that kind of thing. Frequency, it, it all ties together in that way. And, and that's how, 
you know, this this stuff needs to be viewed in order to have a better understanding of it, rather than thinking of it as this physical body in space, quote unquote space. <laughs> yes, yes. So. And you touched on that really on point too, because what you just said, like even with that, the importance of the archetypes, that you can look at the planets and see where they fit on this resonant scale on how you can see how this flavor and that flavor must like a color scale a spectrum of light you see where they portray themselves on the spectrum because how much they have such magnitude towards these resonances so you can take literally the planetaries you can take apart the zodiac wheel you can see these different natures that existing both at the level that is outside this planet however you want to perceive our perception here or even in nature the different types even if you look at the elements because even the tarot you can find the tarot card associated with a planet associated with a zodiac sign because they too carry that archetypal resonance and even the idea of a tarot deck itself provides itself as a major arcana of 22 cards that go through this whole cycle that reflect all in these resonances and then you have these four suits that each carry this elemental presence that all in its own right express that specific elemental domain associated with the resonance. For example, how fire and Sagittarius and Jupiter can all have this very unique but familiar aspect. We can understand that what we interpret as Sagittarius or Jupiter also goes very well and complements Mars and Aries and this other fire sign. So when you see these archetypes and you can see how they express themselves, whether you're looking at just the elemental form of it or if you want to apply it through astrology, tarot, or even taking part numerology, they're all present and they're all there if you're willing to deconstruct. Let me take a moment to acknowledge these two super chats from Case Dismissed Guaranteed. It says, love you, F-E, F-E folks. About, uh, love, you, <laughs> love you, Globe folks, too, just not as much. <laughs> <laughs> Very amusing, yes. By the way, for anybody who might be curious, I've already done some preliminary work. Now, if anybody knows me very well, and and Wayne as well, we're not dedicated flat earth folks. We just challenge everything, and when we see things that don't Mm -hmm. look right, we want more information. So what I'm doing is I'm trying to get it. And since I live on the uh, cusp of Lake Pontchartrain, looking from the North Shore to New Orleans, I've been going down there with my P-1000, and I finally had a day that was super nice and clear, and I got a great shot of the New Orleans skyline. And lo and behold, I can see the top of the Superdome, which according to the uh, mathematics for the Earth's curvature, I should not be able to see. So I'm going to do that multiple times and crop them together into one video so folks can analyze it for themselves. But according to the, the maps, from where I'm standing at a place called Sunset Point Fishing Pier... The Superdome is 33.5 miles away, and it should be below the horizon. So make of that as you will. I'm going to keep doing that work, and there's some other locations on the shoreline I'm going to work on. And I'm also going to try and do it the opposite way, see if there's locations uh, looking from New Orleans to the North Shore, if there's any buildings or any kind of things there. But, uh, Eric, by the way, how do you feel about the whole uh, the flat earth, round earth thing? Do you have any, any thoughts on that? And before yes, I yes. forget... Um, do you have a top five favorite books you're being asked as well? Hmm. Books are hard to come by. I have tons of books. Recommendations? Oh, I'm not sure if I can provide that. I'm like the type of person who can take information from a book, from audio, from video, from experience, which 
I mean, that's the best I can offer. So I don't have a top five book list. My apologies. But I can roll into that next question because I actually wanted to take a little bit that we just discussed here and how you expressed yourself with taking an experience and providing a very practical means to try to understand the world around you. And I think that's important because myself, my personal experience through understanding art came from exploring nature, understanding the natural world, seeing how it existed, and that cultivated most of the preliminary understandings that took you on the right path to work with organic structure, to create trees, because even the organic structure of a forest, it finds its own path. It's not based off measurements. It's allowing itself to adapt based off its current position and present moment. So when we can take that idea and explore and take a practical route, I think that's very important. Now for the flat earth, that concept I find to be a mixture in which it likes to act almost like static electricity. It can bring people in and I think it can keep people occupied and focused on something. And I think it allows us to ask deep questions on where we are and who we are, which I think is the greatest part of what the concept of flat earth offers because it allows you to step outside of what you previously have thought. But at the second time too, I think that the earth, the idea of a round earth, it's more, if you take some Play-Doh and you try to make a ball, but you can't make a perfect ball, it's something like that, where I think the earth is more of a living process, where it's molding and it's creating itself. If it gets a scar, it will heal with the magma. It, it has this underneath to it that it's also breathing and forming and creating new islands. So I believe that it's existing and it's holding itself to through this electromagnetic energy and electricity, just like static electricity on a practical scale. And because we're absorbed to it, that in itself is seeing that we can understand Earth, but the bigger questions come from when you look at the electromagnetic spectrum. You can see the electromagnetic field around the Earth. You can apply that, use that, use the radio waves, use a lot of different aspects that bring us to take in this extra dimension that we're not looking at when we look at something of the flat Earth, which gives us this very more of a very physical, tangible evaluation of where we are versus utilizing that to get a more deeper understanding of what makes it work. Why does it work? When we introduce these facets into it, it makes it a little more complicated that we can't just state the flat Earth. Now, the flat Earth likes to level things in how the alchemical books like to have portrayed the order in which we receive resonances, which is why you'd always find the sun and the moon in certain spots more towards the middle. Because we hit Venus and Mercury first, these have always been seen as something that like, we pick up on their energies first, especially because the sun is more like sending its heat, it's sending its waves of electromagnetic out. So as the sun does that, we pick up on Venus and Mercury prior to hitting the sun. Same with the moon. So these carry a big role in what the flat earth came to be because I think a lot of the understandings of people's concepts came from a misinterpretations of the alchemical process in which we interact with the electromagnetics of our universe rather than the physical tangible aspect of what we like to think as like a border or where things start and where things end. Okay, fair enough. Um, have you seen any of the the NASA fakery stuff? I'm always curious what people take, what their take is on this. 
Yeah, NASA. They're pro <laughs> Photoshoppers. I mean, I, I work with Photoshop. I work with photo manipulation. I can deconstruct the whole advertising, how things work and how things are shined up and made to look good. Mm -hmm. And you can tell their level of perfectionism sacrifices the realism and the authenticness and the rawness that should be interpreted because raw data is going to be raw data. But when you streamline it and saying this is the raw data presented, there's obviously that window of time between receiving what it was and then its final product, not its actual existingness, its product, its presentation. And I think it gives the idea to say like, oh, that's cool, moving on. But most of it is art. We give concepts away. We can create concepts. I think people can create art for good and bad reasons. They can fool people as much as they can open their minds. So what about the video fakery, like the things with uh, false layers and things like that? That's the ones that really get me. Now, that is not something to immediately jump to the conclusion that yes, yes. Uh, the Earth is flat. That, doesn't, that Those two things don't equate. What it means is what NASA is showing us has some sort of oh, falseness yes. to it. So what do you think of that? And you were, you were getting into the Photoshop thing. Uh, I myself – uh, maybe about two years ago, found some of the old Apollo photos, the ones that haven't been completely touched up, and I was able to do the, the typical jacking of the levels and find that the Earth in the great moonrise shot or the Earthrise shot from the moon was a cutout square and just plunk right yeah. in there, and it, it was obvious plain as day. What sort of fakery have you noticed that um, that they're doing on a regular basis, and what do you make of it? Ooh, there's more fakery than I know what to do with. I think there's more BS out there than... There's enough people to pretty much pick it apart. And the thing is, I think it's by design because the more you can overwhelm people, the more it's going to take away from focusing on the details. Now, what you've brought up, I think, is very important because when you look at that actual evidence of everything going on, I think there is a degree that NASA, as a body, as this entity that we give power to, it's no differently than providing someone the expertise to say, okay, because the news anchor is telling you this, what power do we give it? I think NASA itself established itself as a multi-level front. For example, it allowed itself to be a pocket for investments to study and explore the science of rocketry and all this other planetary studies. But at the same time, too, I think it also served as a front end so that other studies can be done in the background or that much deeper things going on. So I think NASA is more in the sense just, um, I guess it's the Super Bowl of organizations out there that are exploring space. It's kind of there to put on a show, but not there to really get to the gritty nitty. And I think a lot of the science religion really gets people stuck in the definitions and in the labels, and they lose the construct. And I think when you try to explain it without using words, or if you can just relate it to nature or see how it applies itself in nature, that we get more closer to the ideas of how the world works rather than just an artificial lab of trying to force something to happen. NASA's a front group, just like everything <laughs> yeah. else. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it's, it's Photoshop. It's literally it, NASA. Pretty is much, Photoshop. yeah. <laughs> NASA literally has jobs for people. Uh, what is it that they ask them to come in and they call them, what is it, space storyteller or something like that is the official name of the job that they subcontract out for. <laughs> It, it, I'm I'm not kidding. It's like they want you to be able to uh, take whatever data they give you and turn it into uh, 
you know, some kind of an artistic picture of what it should look like. And it's like space storyteller or something like that is the name of the job that they offer. And they do this through different. Yeah. I mean, I'll even do the voiceovers. You'd probably be good at that. You'd probably be able to take whatever data they're giving you and turn it into your interpretation of what, what it should look like. I mean, that stuff is very easy. It's just a matter of, can you align doing that? And, can you be okay being on the side of the table that says you got to believe this is real? Well, that's, that's something I can't do. A lot of people can though, because a paycheck yeah, yeah, is a yeah. very good motivator for a lot of folks. It is. But uh, no, I'm I'm on the same boat you are. I mean, mm-hmm. I I wouldn't be able to, in good conscience, do something like that. So, but it's one it's of those things. Apart. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. That's why you know we're here just uh, doing this kind of stuff, and then you have. The people that are working for NASA out there lying through their teeth and, you know, driving around in a nice new Lamborghini and stuff right. like that. So, yeah, that's the difference, I guess. I don't know. But I, I, I can't sell my soul for a buck. That's yeah. just not. So It's important. I think we got to honor ourselves the best way we can. And the more honest we can be, I think that really, like, highlights who we are. And it's like you can work and grow, make Donald bucks, or you can plant an organic garden and watch all the fruitful vegetables grow in lush natural environments but the thing is who are you going to invest in these people or your own life i think that's where most people have to draw that line right and that's a good point that is a good point uh, now's the time to invest in ourselves more so than you know a billionaire who doesn't already have enough money he really doesn't need any more of your uh, of your money or attention or anything like that and you know that's good advice for people we need to you know take a little more pride in ourselves and uh take a little more stock in our, ourselves and what we're doing and uh you know give ourselves a little more credit than what we do rather than just trying to toe the party line or whatever it is that people want to do and, and keep up with the joneses or however they they put that and the day-to-day grind just uh you know we gotta do what seems right to us you know, do what's right for us rather than worrying about maintaining the status quo for everybody else's sake. Oh, without a doubt. And I think another advice I'd easily offer people is to go out in nature more. Just simply doing that, whether you're going out in the sun or experiencing a forest that has this ecosystem filled with life that is not only just providing you with the rich air you can actually find, but it's also allowing this whole ecosystem to exist without that Wi-Fi, without the cellular, without all that stuff getting in the way. Now, if you allow yourself even just a step in nature, take a step out of your life, it's like camping. You need to reset your rhythm. You need to see that your cycle can't be forced by what you allow it to be dictated by, but that if you honor yourself, you need to say and allow yourself to recognize limits, boundaries, what is important to you? What do you want to bring into the world? Because what you consume becomes a part of you. And you can carry that to a family. But the question is, you are a vessel, a vessel of creativity, a vessel of opportunity, a vessel of ideas and concepts that can offer something in the present moment to individuals, to a collective, to the people you interact with by simple smile in the street. All of this plays the nature into sending this echo, this uh, one after the other of dominoes unfolding. So as long as we can actually just tap into that, and like I said, we find our own dance. We step into our own nature, and that is pretty much the song we should be 
playing on our own radio and letting that out there because you never know. Someone might tune into it and discover something they've never actually experienced before. But that opportunity right there of opening that will set this pathway for this individual to explore something they never did ever consider before. I think these are important things to consider because most of us becoming on the map, this time and age where we can actually look online, learn how to garden, get all this expertise information, not just the simple, all right, this is how you have to do it. This is your only source. You can see people doing it for themselves, giving you their best experience. And I think that's important because we are providing each other the knowledge, the basis of what we can be rather than setting these limitations of saying life has to be this. And I think as we introduce who we can be and who we are, people are going to be like, wow, that's a step towards what I'd like to be towards. And that's opportunity, knocking at the door. And I think synchronicity plays a huge role in who hears the message, how we take that in with us, and if we're strong enough to actually act on that rather than it just be a passing in the wind. So, Eric, where would you like to go from here? You uh, touched a lot on with the divination. Is there anything else with that you want to do or do you want to uh – Jump on to one of the other topics you have down here. I can take it anywhere where you'd like to go. <laughs> well, Juggler I like some fire, of the stuff in the spiritual growth, especially the uh, true balance in relationships. While we talk about that. So let's see. Spiritual growth. Okay, so true balance in relationships. I think that many of us are connected. And who we interact with, the families that we're associated with, plays a role. Even if I remove the whole level of astrology and understanding things, we can see who we are and who we're not. We utilize this to better understand if what we want to pursue is worth it. So when we see somebody make a mistake, we use that as a lesson rather than experience to learn the mistake the hard way. I think we're always provided that opportunity. Now with relationships, this plays a larger role. We're bounding ourselves to a contract that we connect ourselves to. Now some people easily connect with others while others just have a different taste or flavor or way of doing things. And it's always interesting because the people who find common ground or connect, whether they know it or not, if you were to just take a study and see their astrology, they have a lot more connections or overlaying or things that play well off one another. It's like when you're making like a nice Japanese dish and you hit that umami factor, but then you introduce something else like uh, some panko breadcrumbs and the tempura and it just takes it up a level. That's what you do with relationships, but with other people. You bring in this flavor of who they are to what flavor you bring to the table. Now, you can see these strengths and weaknesses and how we actually interact with one another because each of us, whether we'd like to admit it or not, provide lessons, not only to ourselves, but to each other. It's why we are partaking in what is happening, and we also all have our own I am. So when we see the world, we can see that we are also separate. But at the same time, too, this interconnected is how we can feel the collective. So this essence of Jupiter, this very Piscean-like interconnectedness might express itself in many ways through society. But on an individual scale, we're so unique that our flavors that we bring to the table are going to highlight the palettes of those that we mend well with. So when you look at relationships, each of us can either bring something to a table or walk away for something. Many of us fall into the relationships of what they want, what they want, and they lose the idea of who they are. But when those who step into who they are allow that to be their beacon, then they uncover that the people that they come across or show up in their lives, that they form new connections with, are much like the seasons. The ones that no longer are attached to who you are fade away as who you are becoming 
really sets this note out there that those who take that interest are going to pick up on it, whether they know it or not. It's smelling that umami, smelling that like flavor that you know, like, whoa, I don't know what it is, but I'm going to pursue that. And that's what brings us to have conversations to connect with others. Some of us might be in limitations where we see, okay, this is what we have to work with. But once you remove the concept of what is to work with and you allow it to exist regardless, the people who will come across you and the people you will encounter all will have this beautiful dance to it. So it's on a level in which we can relate to ourselves, what can we bring to the table, the essence of our unique nature, but also that relationships also have their own existence outside of who you are. It is a garden which you nurture, but it takes two to tango. So at any point, regardless of a friendship, a father, a girlfriend, uh, any kind of connection whatsoever, they all fall in that same concept in which we can evaluate, look at, and even take apart to see the differences and strengths and if this is a good match or if maybe you can support them from a distance or more in the sense that like you appreciate it but you can't appreciate like they can't. So you will support them as a cheerleader, but you understand that it's just not your realm or specialty. So there's many ways in which we can utilize our differences and strengths to really build relationships, but also see them for lessons and opportunities in which we can expand our own life, as well as maybe the higher lessons that are kind of the bigger picture unfolding within a relationship or a period of time that is ruled by a planet or a longer cycle. And I think your food analogy is a really good one, actually, because, you know, not only am I a big fatty and I appreciate food, but, uh, you know, I can help. (laughs) I also could appreciate uh, the nuances of food, whereas different flavors will uh, bring out, uh, you know, more of other flavors like on the palate. So, uh, you know, I I do have a lot of uh, food experience and, uh, you know, I I have a food science background and whatnot. That's awesome. Yeah, and I, I mean, I i don't want to brag, but I am a pretty good chef. But, uh, you know, I, I really don't use those skills outside of home, much like yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, I actually, uh, you know, it, it's it's something that I, I kind of could relate to a lot. So, I mean, the food analogy is a great one because, you know, you'll want to have your, your sweet and savory flavors will kind of complement one another. And that's kind of the same way with relationships. It's a, a perfect analogy for that. Some things work together, some things don't. And some things are better left separated, like on separate little plates or something. Like you don't want your dessert on the same plate as you have your main course. So that kind of thing. But, you know, it's still there as a complement to the other. And, you know, this is a very good analogy. And I do like that analogy. Oh, without a doubt. That's that's what I always come back to. It's this concept of how nature can relay concepts much more easily than trying to form it around a human societal interpretation. Because when we look at nature, how we take food, for example, or how things exist in nature, or the presence of how some things can survive in nature and other things can't because of their strengths and weaknesses. This can be applied to relationships. This can be applied to how we interpret the stars the various resonances, the various seasons. And I think that way of interpreting the world is something that I'm in complete total support of. I personally relate to your food cookery because food is an art. 
in its own right and to be passionate about it. You want to have the best dish. It's your life. And to provide that is something that like you nurture your garden because you want to have the best food. It's not that you want to take it to a show and show off that, look, this is the best fruit you're going to have. It's not about that. You provide your life the best experience it can be. And something like that for food, it requires so many ideas and concepts. So you can apply with food or you can look at the acidity and alkalinity. You can look at the dark light balance, the composition, uh, the spectrum of light. If the you mix the blue and the yellow and you're going to end up with a green, you understand that nature. But when you want to try to take the green and mix it with that purple, don't be surprised if it starts looking like mud. you got to be able to understand the limits and boundaries that are present within the world so that we can utilize that to not only build stronger foundations but to provide a more richer and refined way of how we interact with the world or I should say how the world interacts with us. Well, as far as relationships, I think the easiest way you can really look at anything is that anything from the simplest of friendships all the way up to intimacy and life partners it's a two-way street. There absolutely must be communication at all times and an understanding at all times or else, uh, well, you can't have anything if only one person's putting in. And that's just something yes. you always have to keep in mind. And that's how you'll know if a relationship, uh, again, whether it's a friendship or, or something more, is ill. If it's got problems, you'll know because the communication will start to die and you have to re-inject the communication. And if it's not there and there's no desire by one of the parties, then you have a problem and it needs to be addressed. But anyway, uh, I don't really want to go on and on about relationships because mine's actually pretty good. So <laughs> yeah, I can't plan. Life is flow with those in the know. <laughs> All right, so symbol synchronicity, universe's natural language. Well, I'll tell you the first thing that pops in my head when I read that is sacred geometry, which I always nicknamed the blueprints of the universe. But uh, go ahead and take it away, man. Yes, yes, symbol synchronicity. So synchronicity I like to see as we're in an experience. Uh, here, I, I, let me put this out there first. So I have a tattoo here, and it's a quote from Leonardo da Vinci. And it says, although I cannot quote from authors in the same way they can, I can learn from something much richer in the same way that the people who taught them. It's this, this essence that we can learn from teachers, but it's the experience that actually carries forth this very heavy message that's going to be ingrained with us. Now, the messages that come through always take on that by this symbol, this synchronicity that is outside of our control. And that's important to recognize what did you have a part in bring into reality and what part of that is external to you. So, for example, if a message comes up to you, a song comes up to you, something that happens at that moment in time to give you this or to give you a reminder or something that just happens or right place, right time. These are all those moments of waking reality actually trying to communicate. And I think that synchronicity is more like we hit that beat, we hit that note, we're in our dance, and we're going with the rhythm. And the more you're in that rhythm, the more that that synchronicity is going to show up. And it will show up again and again and again if you know what you're doing. And that's something that's like very big. And if we take that even further, symbols themselves, the way that we interpret them in a sacred geometric form, 
Sacred geometry is no differently than trying to understand our own universes. We see that matter in itself. For example, the Star of David itself can be taken and turned and turned into Merkaba and see these different shapes and forms. And these same forms can be seen in how crystals are formed, the sacred geometric structure of how things just fit perfectly together. And if given the right electricity, can fractally expand itself and go beyond that. And that sacred geometric form is why we have such a diverse form of crystals. Because when you have all these types of crystals, for example, quartz, this perfectly layer formation shows off this one nature of reality that fits together like Legos. And when we see that, we see actual building blocks that are associated in a natural way. So we're not looking at cement being poured, but instead we're looking at the formation much like lightning. This is happening at an organic fractal presence, but the sacred geometry is built off this one shape that will then extend itself at a larger rate and smaller. So just like astrology, if you took a step out and looked at it from the larger sense, you will have an understanding of what this shape is. But if you zoomed in all the way and you saw the Mandela aspect of it all, you're going to see that what you view from out there might be perceived within. So if I take astrology and I look at the stars, or better yet, I look at the planetary bodies, archetypes, what we understand is our sky, these concepts. Now, we take that and we can see the lessons of where they are, and then we can apply that to even our internal organ system, even the Vedic practices that associate chakra systems, energetic uh, centers of our body, the ways in which we connect and send chi throughout. This, a lot of the Eastern practices that incorporate this understanding, this energetic feminine aspect of who we are, this plays a huge role in to provide what we're on our path to express. So if we can interpret that and merge what is this, I guess, feminine aspect of self, we really introduce that. And we not only open up a new door, but that's really going to say, hey, the secret geometry that is showing itself up or synchronicity that is presenting itself in your life is carrying something a lot more than what you perceive. But because you get a taste of it, because you get a flavor of it, you can recognize that and follow it further and see what it has more that is awaiting for you. Because... Like I said, you say something that sparks something, that's inspiration and key. Where that takes you is all unraveling of that moment. So what that synchronicity can offer is something very powerful given the right circumstances. Yeah, the big thing with symbols I always tell people too to keep in mind, uh, same thing with numbers, it's all about the intent behind it. The symbol itself is just, mm. okay, somebody drew this on a piece of paper. Yeah. It doesn't actually mean anything. What it means yeah. is what the intent behind it. So a uh, great example is always as the, the swastika, even though the uh, the bad people in Germany that we won't mention on the air because I'd like to keep my YouTube channel, took a symbol that was a sun symbol, uh, the, the turning of you know, the movements and all that, for goodness knows how long, and they inverted it and used it for something else entirely. And now that's all people associate with unless they happen to really know their stuff. Great example of that kind of thing. So it's all about intent. Uh, Matthew Ross, thank you for the New Zealand $10 super chat, by the way. He says, hello, I would like to hear your understanding of electricity and magnetism. You have anything you'd like to uh, to go, on, go off about that? Today? Yes. I can definitely take a dive into there. But you also just said something, too, that is uh, I'd, I'd like to just squeeze in quick because uh, the nature of reality is that when we have a collective, we hundredth monkey affect some things. And when we ingrain a symbol into the collective, it's there for a long time. So let's say 
this symbol of peace that is well-known in Japan and other native cultures, this in itself was a very deep inherited symbol. And because you have so many people creating shrines and providing intention and energy towards it to build it towards that, that symbol, because of all the human conscious I am awareness that is provided energy towards it, that in itself can either be resonated towards, so you pick up on it like a crystal would, a radio signal, or you're able to see it expressed. So when you use the symbol, for example, what they did during that time period, they took that symbol and inverted it. So instead of all this energy that came into it, this energy then acted as a wave almost, like a, a metaphysical, I guess, I don't want to use any war terms because I want to keep this like relative, but the concept of utilizing it to your advantage to push your party forward, I think is something that we see very common in media. But the strengths that symbols hold really get ingrained on a collective scale that even if we don't recognize the symbol, they have an effect on us or that we also have an effect on them. And if we provide so much of an effect, even the concept of thinking, if the media can convince enough people, you will have a schism existing in more of the collective thought construct. So if those that are interpreting the energy might be able to weave it out, that might happen, but it's still existing. So I just want to pop that in on the symbols before I dive into electricity and magnetism. Right. No, I'm with you there. It's almost kind of like mass consciousness intent being uh, pushed into the ether of the universe for lack of, a, of better mm -hmm. terms to use. We have a right. deep connection to what we experience, what we see, and what we take with us. And that yeah. will show itself in the dream world. And that directly relates to electricity and magnetism, in my opinion, as well. Because these, these are energy forms that kind of work along the same lines. And uh, may, in fact, all be the same thing uh, to one degree or another. If you're looking at things from, you know, the different frequency standpoint, uh, the modalities in which electricity and magnetism present themselves physically in our world uh, also may present themselves differently in a more spiritual sense when you take a step back. So like these these energy forms, these are all, uh, this is just my view now. Uh, I see electricity and magnetism are, are just different aspects to uh, the, the moving of ether, okay? And that's, that's just the way that I perceive it. These are just ways in which that the ether presents in an energy form that we could measure and see in our reality. And I believe this also has a kind of rippling effect through different, uh, what you would say, maybe resonances, resonances of, uh, you know, spiritual energies and such as well. So uh, that's my view. I'd like to hear yours on electricity and magnetism. It's very on point because I can back you up on that. It's when you look at electricity and magnetism, to put it plain and simple, you're looking at a force of nature, a force of energy that is expressing itself either as a masculine, which is expressed as electricity, a direct current from A to B, which is connecting the force, or you're looking at the feminine, which is the electromagnetic. This is the echo, the wave. This is a part of it that is emitted, but can be connected on the sense that it's not a direct current. When we think of plasma, we see that direct connection. That's what's associated with Mars. That's what powers most of our technology, the DC current. When I looked into Walter Russell's work and Tesla's work, I had a deeper understanding of it because what people were trying to understand is quantum physics and all this, they're trying to deconstruct the idea of the ether without going into the ether. 
And the more you go into the science, they just introduce more and more words. So if you use this as your base point of where you're starting, you're a lot further off than where you're meant to be. Because if we can relate this back to nature, you can actually take apart how the forces of planetary physics work as well as the macro physics of yourselves. Because we are electricity. Because I'll sit here and I can explain the concept of astrology. But somebody who starts at the sun sign might not be aware of planetaries, might not be aware of uh, tropical, might not be aware of side reel, and then might not be aware of even the next level beyond that. But I always take it further and deeper. So when you look at the electricity of our world and magnetism, I see what Tesla has done. I see what Walter Russell has done, what they presented, the concepts, the frequencies, the way that interpretations of reality and its existence at place. You mix in the sacred geometry. You put that all into place, and they're all expressions of being able to use electricity, this energetic force, this electromagnetism, almost like art. You're creating life. You're creating ways of expression. You're allowing and using this as a force of uniqueness because much like a tree in the forest, it's not going to repeat itself. It's going to follow something that is in tune to what's ingrained, but it will go with what's near it. And as it adapts to each situation, it will either attract itself to something like-minded in which it will carry over that charge, or it will transfer in case it will dissipate and just be absorbed in whatever is willing to be there. For example, if you have electromagnetic from Wi-Fi or 5G, you're dealing with a very artificial construct it's very like trying to say all right make a nice smooth line this is the equivalence of just like closing your eyes and squiggles back and forth and it looks like a spinal tap album so like that is that type of frequency it's still using waves and energy and it's existing but now let's say you take some jet stone or tourmaline or something and you put it in front of there and you will witness the absorption rate in which this electromagnetic frequency which is emitted and pushed out there using an electric force is then absorbed or blocked or absorbed and we as human petri dishes 70 percent water are also acceptable to this as water in itself acts like this secret geometric connection of this compound this oxygen hydrogen substance you can see that it can be shaped it can be morphed it's adaptable only within certain limits. And uh, you'll find this property in a lot of the material that exists throughout. And you'll see in Walter Russell's, he associates frequencies to all these various different metals, all these different solidities, because they exist at a sacred geometric form of what holds them together, what bounds them, the way that they're bound, and the force of nature which holds them to be. For example, the element of fire, which transmutes the take physical form and allows it to enter into the ether, or the essence of air, in which communications and the concept of ideas can be portrayed or carry forth and such like a seed can plant itself by carrying itself on the winds of passerbys this relation to nature this way of understanding that we are all expressions of this electrical or magnetic structure is going to highlight that so to put simply and wrap it up so it's not an unraveling bubble of where we're going with this the electrical nature of who we are is very important because water is very susceptible electricity so our energy, where we put it, our focus, our conscious connection, even our thought processes carry a small electrical charge to be emitted so they exist, which is why when you're mindful, you're conservative of the energetic output. Thus, you allow yourself to balance the input, and which is why those who meditate are more likely to receive intuitive downloads because they allow their magnetic self to be receptive 
rather than being an electrical force of energy to drive themselves into the world. Well stated. I I like your take on it. That's very succinctly put. Uh, I do uh, agree with much of what you said there. It's, it, you know, spot on. Uh, this is basically uh, the energy of consciousness, and that's what everything is made of, all of us, the, the whole world that we live within. It's all aspects of consciousness, and uh, this is basically what uh, is used to be the, the tool of consciousness to bring about uh, creative ideas within the world and to bring about new things within this world. You're making quite the impression, by the way, Eric. Everyone's talking about how smart you are and awake you are in, in the chat room. I don't know if you're able to follow it. Uh, Case Dismiss Guaranteed said in his latest Super Chat, a man is worthy of his hire. Unfortunately, we're probably past the point where he was referencing that, but I at least wanted to get it on the record. Um, looks like we'll have to have you back, huh? <laughs> hey, happy to be here. Uh, I'd love to be in front yeah, of you. This is natural for me. We still didn't get to a lot of different uh, topics there. One I was looking forward to talking about is dreams. Oh, so. I could take a whole episode on dreams alone. <laughs> well, we've got 25 <laughs> minutes to left, that. so why don't we jump down to that and um, yes, we'll, yes. Just, we'll just start hitting off the points. What do dreams tell us, Eric? Okay, so dreams is a very not only personal experience subject of mine, but I think it's the most telling way in which we can communicate with what we understand as the higher self, or even if we look at the living cosmos, if we want to connect and understand ourselves by deconstructing who we are, we must first take ourselves out of this waking reality, this uh, what we exist in every single day. Think of it like a program on the computer. We're running this program, but if you can let it rest, you can set your memory, you can set your energy to recharge. But your physical body is literally only one aspect of what you're operating. You are uh, an I am. You are existing, asking questions, perceiving. You have imagination, creativity, the ability to access beyond what you carry with you. So one thing that highlights that the most are dreams. Now, many of us are having dreams. Many of us aren't remembering dreams. Now, there's much, 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 much reasoning behind that because of the diet we consume, what we take in, what we're around, the type of and quality of sleep we get, what kind of information do we absorb? Because many cases, the dreams we're having are either telling us Okay. So when we're looking at dreams, this concept is really giving us a platform, a canvas, an opportunity to discover something within us. Is it a lesson? Is it something that it's providing us an opportunity of experience? So if you hop into a dream and you're in a car crash or you had something that happened to you in the day but you suppressed it, maybe that dream tonight is going to allow you to relive it so that you can express it so you don't carry it on. Dreams can be a tool in which we can release some of the baggage we hold on emotionally that we carry within us or things that we don't even recognize in ourselves. With my own personal experience with dreams, they can also be windows to the future. I've had dreams tell me what's going to happen for days or what happens ahead of time. I've had dreams tell me what I'm going to work on art-wise. A lot of stuff really comes and tells it to you ahead of time if you are keen and caught up 
with a lot of the messages your dreams are trying to convey to you. Now, dreams can offer us a lot of different ways because it's imagining yourself in a world in which you can create. It is no limit, no aspect of conscious awareness outside of what you're experiencing unless you lucid dream. Now, for those of us who are still unconsciously dreaming, we're partaking in something of an experience. We don't need to attach it to reality, but we take away what we walk with. So this concept of saying you have a dream and you get some weird symbol and you don't understand it, it conveyed itself to you, but not in a way that you can understand. Now, if you were to look up the dream symbolism or the collective understanding associated with that symbol, you will uncover some of the messages. And that's why I think that the collective Akashic, this etheric knowledge base plays a role for our dreams because most of our dream speak actually originates by what we most associate with a symbol, an animal, or even in our personal lives. We can have symbols that express uniquely to the experience we're having. Think of it like creating a brand new game by using assets of your own life. So we portray an experience utilizing, let's say, a parent to portray this fatherly figure or this higher masculine self. Or you're using the connection to your partner to understand your connection with yourself or your connection with your own feminine self. Or there's a lot of very avenues in which can be expressed using your own world experience and those you're connected with and to carry that forward. Now dreams also have the opportunity to connect with people beyond. I've had cases where dreams themselves, they come in to provide windows of opportunity for those who have passed to give messages, to have an experience, or for those who aren't able to, let's say, be so physically active, to reconnect to you in a dream and be active. Whether this is a part of you providing that in the sense and you are giving them a platform for whatever that resonance of that individual of the I am is emitting, that in itself is going to give a message, an idea, a concept. And even for those who do not remember their dreams, those days where you do, you should definitely consider what did it try to tell you? What did you experience? Because I find that life itself will give you that kick in the butt. It will give you the message, even if you've refused to hear it, but it will give it to you. Same thing with the dreams. You will have a dream out of nowhere and it will be given to you because something beyond that, something beyond your knowing, your capacity to hold the charge of what the dream conveyed, mounted up so that you can not only receive it, but you can carry forth, retain it in your own memory, your conscious memory, and pull from it for a future sense. So there's these little information downloads, these droplets that I also associate to intuition, but in the dreamscape, you're dealing with a much more refined a very universal take on how we can receive work with not only information, our own experience, ourselves, for both healing, advancing, and growth, but also to experience things that we just can't. If somebody's in a wheelchair, dreams to them allow them to explore different worlds. I've been in the dead of winter, but I can dream of being in like a tropical jungle, but I can wake up, but I still feel yesterday I was just in a tropical jungle. That experience stays with you. So when we define our experiences to help ourselves, this carries a key in allowing ourselves to unlock who we are and to better understand how can we work with ourselves to better that. 
Okay, what's your take on recurring dreams or recurring themes within dreams? Because I'll tell you, I have uh, some really weird dreams sometimes. And mm-hmm. what's what's the really weird aspect of them is I'm always in the same place, but this is not a place that exists within our world anywhere. It, it's mm-hmm. But it's somewhere that I'm very familiar with in the dream. and uh, But it's not a, a place that really exists in reality yeah. here. So uh, I I find this rather an interesting thing, and I was just wondering, what's your take on something like that? Like, uh, for instance, I'll tell you, uh, the one environment that I find myself in in the dream a lot is a, a tall building uh, that it seems to be laid out somewhat like a hospital, like as far as the stairways and stuff like that. But it's it always involves stairways or elevators or something along those lines. But I'm very familiar with the layout of this building that does not exist in my dream. Yes. So uh, what, what's your take on something like that? There's two directions I can take that because I myself, uh, there's an essence of reoccurring dreams, but there's an essence of these dreamscapes. Now, dreamscapes are much like, I don't know if anyone has seen the show Sherlock, but they've brought up an example of a mental mansion. Now, yeah. this concept of creating this world inside your mental capacity is very similar to your dream world because you can actually access um, memories or experiences that are very unique for the dream world. I, I have like several dreams a night, so I write a lot down, but there will be cases where this dream will take place in only this dream place that I will revisit every so often, but I'll write, it reminds me of this one dream place I visited then. So you have these almost conglomerates of things so it might pull from parts you've been from it might pull from parts from your childhood or it might be a conglomerations of schools places you're visited but they're always an expression for example a school in itself will provide lessons and learning and growth a hospital will provide healing stairs and height will provide you to elevate to go further to extend to allow yourself to get a little higher up so that you can have a better view a better perspective if you apply the sense of deconstructing the nature of why that symbol exists, you most likely can really interpret dreams all on your own. For example, if it's daylight out, you are aware. If it's night out, you're likely not. But just because it's night in the dream doesn't mean it's a night message. It's more that you're unaware. So, for example, if something is happening in the future, it might happen at night because you're unaware of it's happening. But in a way, what still carries forth in the dream carries with you. And like astrology and divination, you are provided insight of something that can happen. Whether it happens or not is what you build up experience by to see like intuition. You recognize the aspect of magic, of what occurs, what is the happening through the experience of weaving out whether it's long term, whether it holds up. And I think that's for everyone's sake to see if it holds up. So intuition, astrology, dreams, all of it is a source of knowledge. But what you carry with you at the end of the day is really going to be a part of who you are in that nature. Because we're giving dreams, we're giving reoccurring dreams because we either have to get a message, we either have a connection to that dream, or there's something that we're not getting the first few times that need to be done deeper. I've had cases where I've went through a dream and it ended up in a car crash, but I was able to relive the dream and change course. I don't know. There's reasons for dreams to provide an experience. There's reasons for dreams to provide a lesson. 
Other times, they're taking you to a place in which you've built in your own dreamscape that you yourself utilize as a symbol or higher message. Think of what goes on there and the purpose of what goes on there, and you're more likely to find the nature and reasoning of why that portrayed itself within that dream. All right. Well, that's uh, that provides me with a little bit of uh, more of a path to look at as as far as uh, these recurring dreams I have go. It's not necessarily it's not like the same dream all the time, but it's the same <laughs> location that does not yeah. exist, and that's that's yeah. the thing I've that I always find interesting. Yeah, and it's also, uh, you know, it's it's multiple places too. It's not just this one particular <laughs> dreamscape. Uh, I like that term, and I'll have to look more into that uh, as far as dreamscapes go. But I mean, it, it, I just find it very strange because it's almost like it's this different world that I'm very familiar with. <laughs> I know the layout of it well, and uh, you know, I have my routine in this different world, and it's just kind of a strange thing but uh, i mean I, I will definitely have to take a look at the, the different ang angles of uh, the symbolism and stuff portrayed there as far as like the the elevation thing with the stairways and, and all of that with that particular building which I, I seem to dream about quite frequently but it's it's different dreams that take place so yeah. it's not like it's the same dream all the time but it's the same locations and i just find that interesting and i, I you know i've always been interested in talking to somebody about uh, this whole dream thing that is a little more familiar with the whole uh, idea of what dreams interpretation and stuff could could be. So uh, I'll definitely take a look at that. But I, I do find it a, a fascinating topic. So anything else you could uh, bring to the table as far as the the whole dreamscape idea or just, you know, the dream scenario, you know, that'd be great. Yeah. Well, dreams are something like it's experience itself that has provided most of this knowledge and dreams I can go on for hours and hours just on this nature alone because it's such an unspoken about topic and the nature of it is so unique that it takes the nature of who we are without applying an understanding, without applying astrology, without applying anything of who we are, where we came from, our genetics, our blood, our reasoning, our timing. It just takes the moment of who we are then and then it allows ourselves to fine-tune and what fine-tunes that is up to how we connect or understand the higher self, the guiding force behind the I am. So when you look at that, you're really building a connection the more you form your dreams. Because dreams themselves will then act as a very, it's, it will act as the high definition television for your higher self to provide knowledge and information to you. Or if it's meant to give you a heads up like, hey, you're taking a path that's going to end you up somewhere. So we're going to tip you off a little early. If you pick up this message, you're going to save yourself from learning the hard way. And I think that's what most people bring into our lives. It's just we can learn the hard way or we can really just like take a moment to listen and then act. Because when we listen, we're receptive to a lot more than just the sounds in our environment. So dreams are that one outlet I've been dreaming for farther than I could probably go back and my first lucid dream even dates back to like I believe like 2012 2013 and since then I've been very very active in dreams because I wanted to cultivate it and just like art just like dreams you can cultivate your dreams I can walk away from a night of having several dreams and remembering them so vividly as if I lived those experiences and I was not able to do this prior to getting the dreaming but as soon as I got into dreaming I 
decided to work with it more, you write your dreams down more, you build it up. It's an exercise. You can build your muscles up. You can build your creativity up. You can build the way you work with the world around you. Same with intuition and many of the other things that you can partake in but does not have a systematic structure to how you grow and progress. So just like dreams themselves, dreams are always going to give you that opportunity to connect to something that is beyond who you are but at the same time who you are. Now, I like to provide our, I guess, I like to make up words on the spot. So dreamscape, dreamspeak, a lot of the things I just use to describe things are pretty much a go with the flow. I don't like to restrict things to labels because their limitations truly hold back a lot of what can be conveyed. So my Gemini Rising likes to really take in a way of expression that says its truth without sacrificing limitations or without cornering it with a bias or an interpretation. It's almost like taking into consideration the mass amounts of ways you can interpret it and keeping it so on note that you really carry your message. It's clear, it's crystal, and I think that's what nature does when it forms crystals. It knows its exact message, its design, its mathematics, and then it lets itself just grow. Because of its organic matter existing, it is nurtured just like a garden to become lush and to be giving this life force energy, which then then expand at the adaptive rate each present moment. Now, have you ever had any uh, like really creative inspiration from a dream? I, I could I could relate that I actually have uh, on several different occasions. Like uh, I would wake up and re- vividly remember a dream and have some inspiration from it. And in fact, oh, yeah. uh, my newest book I'm writing right now, uh, it came directly to me in a dream. I was mm-hmm. taking a nap, and I woke up from the nap, and I knew exactly what I wanted to write about and how how to lay it all out and what to do with it. So th- this is uh, what I'm working on now. And I've had you know some similar experiences in the past, so I just wanted to see. Have you ever had that type of... Uh, a creative outlet that just came to you suddenly in a dream. Oh, without a doubt. My life is, I don't know how to put it. It's more like one of those stories you can't write. Because of how much I've decided to like take my own path in life, it's being in nature where when you're given those synchronistic messages, they're 100% clear as day. Because you're so disconnected from society. You're, you're really existing on your own where you allow such a huge opportunity for things to come in. So I receive a lot of creative inspiration just by synchronicities in waking life as much as I do in dream life. So for example, I want to pursue all these different decks in astrological art and a lot of esoteric and occultic works. But they're all completed and visualized in my head. So I explore them in a dream world sometimes. But a lot of the creativity that also comes in, for example, I can see like a whole deck done, but that gets carried forth. And what you can remember from that, you'll definitely weave into what you're creating. But all of it is just a download being provided to you. And the more you tune into who you are, the more you're going to realize, wow, it's a lot easier to pick up on it than you think. And when you're open for it, like for example, yourself to receive that, to be open for that to begin with. That alignment to know that that is so in tune to who you are and what you want to put your energy and time to cultivate, that in its own right speaks about the message of timing as much as it does for what is provided in that message. So we really are these 
living opportunities, these living vessels to not only interact with universe, but to utilize our opportunity by experience to let universe speak to us. And dreams is one of those best ways of doing that because we'll receive downloads, insights, all sorts of stuff. And we might even get so much of that information through a dream that when we wake up, we not might, we might not even be able to actually fully interpret or digest it that we only just walk away with a small sliver. But that's why I always recommend writing your dreams down. It's when you wake up from a dream, you might not remember it hours later, but you might remember it right there when you wake up. So doing that preserves it, creates a physical contract to express what you experience by retelling it and also allowing yourself to grow, I guess, your memorial connection, whatever you access to store where you remember your dreams, that will grow and strengthen over time. But it's definitely a window in which you can receive creativity, downloads, all sorts of insights. Like I said, even future info comes to me days in advance or like I know things are coming or I'm expecting things because I had a certain dream and it does nothing but validate how powerful dreams can be as not only a vehicle for messages, but as a vehicle for experience. So that really can do so much for you. Lumberjack, thank you very much for the 1999. Says great show tonight, guys. And I would like to agree, Eric, it's been great having you here. Uh, We've got a few minutes left though. Um, We had another question here about dreams and let me make sure I get it right. It's actually something that I've experienced as well. Let me jump back in the chat here real quick before I lose it again. Maybe I did lose it. Okay. Well, the concept was something that I've experienced a lot. And that's if you're fighting in your your dreams and you try to hit something or someone and it's like you can't put any effort behind it no matter how hard you try. Do you happen to know what that would mean? Have you ever experienced that and or come across that at all? I would probably recommend that could be a number of things. But one would be a your position while you're sleeping. If you're sleeping in a dream and you try to do something that requires your muscle, but your muscle is like really jammed because you're sleeping on it, in the dream, you might not be able to use that limb or it might be difficult for you to move. Other cases, the dream might actually permitted you to not be able to move so that you can learn to react or to take advantage of the scenario. It's also trying to tell you what you're fighting up against. It could be the way things are being played out or whether it's worth the time. There's a lot of messages that really fine-tune to what's going on. So, for example, I've had dreams where I want to do something, but I couldn't. Now, when you lucid dream, let's say I've lucid dreamed before, and I was like, wow, this is great. Let's make an M&M appear. Boom, it appears in front of you. Now, that's taking the dream and applying a very masculine approach because you're in now control of the dream. But when you're just experiencing the dream without the lucidity, you're just present and aware, you are taking a feminine approach to see what the dream has to offer. Now, we might not be taking the physical message of the dream, and we might need to see what's beyond that. I've been in car crashes. I've died numerous times. I've been to other worlds, other times, other places in dreams, and it's all just a vehicle for it. And each one is so unique that some of it I don't like to associate to say, oh, I'm aware of this past life or I'm aware of that. There's just only so much you can be aware of. You can have your own conclusions, but you can't state the facts. 
So you can only work with what you can understand, and that's for everyone's own to make up. So with our dreams, it's such a fine-tuned way. It's like understanding who we are, and if each individual had to really come down to make up what that is, it would be so different for each person's not only response of who they think they are, but who they truly are at their nature, of why they bring that response, of how they act that response, and why they're a vehicle to create that type of expression, which is actually just so unique for the world to welcome in, that we are at that part, like I said, a towel balance, where it's sort of the bigger picture that everything's there for a reason. So when we offer that dreams, whether it's through something of a negative experience, the fact that we can wake up from that allows us to reflect. Now, the impact of that, many of that really will range based off what and who you're fighting, the details. As much details as you can get, deconstruct. Ask the why. Ask where that came from. Ask why they do. Why do you have a connection to that individual? Where is there a reason that is going on to suggest this or was it out of the blue? And if so, does that person recognize an aspect of life? For example, you might have an dream of your old best friend, but that old best friend is merely just a representation of a best friend archetype. Or you might, and that's the best way of actually going about it, looking at them as archetypes. What archetype does this represent? Or what archetype is this trying to represent in its own right? Instead of saying, oh, this is associated with that archetype, let it speak by its own archetype. What does that say for your life as a symbol, as an imprint of who you are, what you've experienced, and what can it convey to you? Now, dreams are a blank canvas for all that and more. So that's why that's in whole episode plus. <laughs> awesome. Well, we're almost out of time, Eric. Do you want to talk about uh, what all you're about, where people can find you if they want to communicate with you, look at your work and all that good stuff? Yes, of course. Uh, if you want to find me on the internet, I barely have any social networks because it's just something I just, uh, it's hard to get with. But I do have a website, and that is my name, E-R-I-C-T-E-C-C-E dot com. You can also access that through Waking Magic with a K. Waking, W-A-K-I-N-G, Magic, M-I-G-I-C-K dot com. They're going to take you to the same domain of my artistry. And there you can see my art, uh, my studio, which is Waking Canvas, which is where I produced my tarot decks and where I'm actually sharing the artwork for my current deck in progress. There you will also see my YouTube channel on my website, as well as, I guess, the only social media I have, I think, is Instagram. But I think that shares to, like, Twitter and Tumblr if people use that. It's automated. But, yes, that's there. If you are interested, you want to see my work. Um, I don't really have freelance opportunity right now, so I'm not open for work. But synchronicity, so you never know. This message, I think, is more about trying to get it out there, less about what can I do for people. So I like being able to convey that. If you like my work, if you want to support it, that's awesome. But only welcome it if like, it's something you want to welcome in your life. If you want to learn tarot, my deck is more for the initiated because it's more visual focused. So it's not a beginner's deck for those who are interested in the tarot. But if you know the tarot, check it out. I got time-lapse videos on my YouTube of all the artwork being done as well as a panoramic view of all the suits because it's a complete panoramic deck. So that's all there to browse, view, to your pleasure, as well as other videos of art time-lapses, my own talks, and other stuff I create. I'm a jack of many trades, so I try to condense it, but it's not easily to convey to other people. So if you find my website, just find what you like, and I think that's a good message. 
Awesome. Wayne, you got any last messages you want to get out there before we call it a night? Uh, thanks, Eric, for coming on. We'll have to do this again. This was a great talk, man. I appreciate all your input. I'm glad to be here. I mean, to just have the conversation and converse with people who not only can digest the information, but to keep up and actually play this game of conversial ping pong opens up opportunities for individuals to receive ideas, to gain concepts that weren't as, I guess, easily to perceive before. But I think this opportunity opens a lot of things to come through. So I'm just so glad and grateful to be a part of it while also being able to connect and share a message of whatever's meant to be here. So if you're tuning in, you're listening to this, think of it like you're here for a reason. So hope you take something from it and glad to take a part in your experience of life. Well, it's great having you here, man. We'll have to do this again. I think this is one of those ones you, you laid out so much information. Folks will probably be listening to it multiple times. Uh, for once, I didn't speak all that much. So uh, <laughs> we, we got a lot to talk about uh, in the future, I think. But thank you so much. Oh, without a doubt. Again, remember our sponsor, uh, Randy from Houston's LowerTheFriction.com. Promo code SOS gets you 5% off. Uh, if you have any questions about that, you can always hit me up about anything at SecretsOfSaturn at gmail.com. Wayne, you want to give your contact info out? Yeah, it could be uh, reached at AlchemicalTechRevolution at gmail.com. Uh, check out my Facebook page, Files from the Conspiratorium, and uh, I'll be uh, posting more things on my YouTube channel, Alchemical Tech Revolution. Uh, my books are available through Amazon or at any other fine book retailer, so if people want to check out those uh, contact points, it would be much appreciated. All right, and coming up tomorrow on Crow Triple Seven Radio, we have an really interesting gentleman named Richard who is a I don't know if I, I adequately would call him a shaman but he is into ayahuasca and all things involved with that he's done if I remember correctly 12 trips to Peru and we have a great big chat about ayahuasca because a lot of folks have been asking us about that since we were talking uh, about cannabis and a couple other things so join us tomorrow on Crow Triple Seven Radio that's C-R-R-O-W-777 radio.com. And, of course, every week we still will do the Secrets of Saturn live stream. And on Sunday we'll do the Crow Triple Seven live here on this channel as well. Thank you to everyone who joined us tonight. Thank you to all the awesome Super Chat people. And we will see you again next week. Thanks, folks.